0: system rape victims, priests in sodomy, street people perishing from street theology, unlearned ministers criticize seminaries, while without a vision, people perish, it's no visionary first class, the second class, the third class citizens, first Adamson and all became cinnamon, sweet like cinnamon for those that have been redeemed and sour like lemons fall, those that have been redeemed, guns cocked in politics too mature from relative, we live in a time better to receive than it is to give videos are raising kids, losing life over them rims. little homies 13, smoking the Virginia Slims. Look at the poverty. Taxes are robbing me. Jesus can father me. Honest to God, it's gotta be some type of dodge in the internet and the pornography. Calling my Savior, my Lord, who's offering me Deuteronomy. So what would you do for the truth? So what would we do? Uh, and for the truth said, what would we do now? And for the truth, uh, we need the gospel, the world gospel. What would we do? What would we say? What would we do? We need the truth now. We need the gospel. We want the truth now. Listen Listen. According to the scriptures, a certain day of judgment, a husk for rain and every secret made public, a just God, when justified brings justice, even the heavenly G, but people, Jesus will love it. As we study the scriptures, sin and death for the effects of the fall, in each aspect, there's an effect in us all, so while God's looking down, we look up and we laugh, but humanity's standing under the cups of his grass, since we seem to be someone loving reality shows, then why is no one open to see what reality shows, plus it's hard for me to even see the faith of an atheist, who believe off from apes, in a place of sacredness Plus, without Christ, we're a guaranteed casualty. Because instead of watching our life, we would watch our calories. I know, because the truth can irritate like an allergy. I'm just trying to open the pope and to show you reality. So what more can he do to personally prove to you than to pay the debt of sin, hopefully including you? What more can he do than say he loves your life and then to wrap in human flesh and become the Christ? What more can he do than he's already done that he loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son? What more can he do than say he loves his life And then a wrapping human flesh and become the Christ. What more can he do than say he loves his life? And then a wrapping human flesh and become the Christ. What more can he do than say he loves his life? And then a wrapping human flesh and become the Christ. You know, uh, those layers are just speaking about how uh, the world sees us as Christians and want to manipulate our minds and, and, and just torture us and to believe in what they want to believe in. You know what I mean? But it's time to take a stand for the women and men of God to stand up and to say what's right now. Look. And so, yes, he is alive. And yes, he did die. No, he wasn't married. Never had any wives. And yes, he did arise days after he died. What can I say? Yes, he is God. So yes, he is alive. Yes, he did die. No, he wasn't married. Never had any wives. Yes, he did arise days after he died. What can I say? Yes, he is God. So yes, he is alive. Yes he did die No he wasn't married Never had any wives Yes he did arise Days after he died What can I say Yes he is God Now what can we say Yes he is God Now what can we do Scream yes he is God Yes he is my savior Yes he is the maker Yeah he's the way The truth and the life uh, and His name is Jesus Christ uh, Time to take a stand And not fall You know Satan can strike us and wound us, but will conquer us through Christ Jesus and what He did on the cross that day on Calvary.
1: Welcome to Refuge. Let's pray real quick and we're going to dig into Genesis chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that tonight, as your gospel has already been presented, as we've worshipped you corporately, as we've heard this rap, God. God, I pray that tonight as we dig into your word, God, you would captivate our hearts, that we are part of a bigger story, that you've invited us to be a part of a bigger story, that you've invited us to be a part of your story. But God, you are the God who redeems. You take the mess that we make of our lives and you put it all back together. So God, would you cause us to worship you even more tonight? God, would you cause us to know that there is an enemy, and he wants to destroy your image in us because he doesn't love your glory. And so, God, I pray that tonight you would help us to see that. Father, thank you tonight that we get to gather and worship. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And all of refuge said. Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 3. If you're a visitor, we're glad you're here tonight. We're in a series called Origins, and uh, basically we're we're saying that there is a big story being told throughout history. Everyone loves an epic story, right? We love epic stories. It's because we have been called to be a part of an epic story. It's the story of God. And so this whole year, we're kind of committing ourselves to telling God's story, for the rest of the school year, um, from now until May, we're going to try to walk through the major parts of God's story. So we've started in the beginning, the book of Genesis, and we're going to go to chapter 3 tonight. But Genesis literally means origins. And so I thought, hey, I'll be real creative. I'll just call this series what it's really already about. It's origins. Here's what we saw last week or what we've seen so far. God is the maker of all things, and he creates all things. He does it. In his power and through his word. But then God does something. He takes what he's made and he shapes it and he forms it so it's good for us to live in. And then he makes his pinnacle of creation. You and me, the man and the woman made in the image of God. We saw that last week that man and woman, you and I are made in the image of God. And there's nothing else that has been made in the image of God. Your dog was not made in the image of God. Your cat, my cat, was definitely not made in the image of God. I'm pretty sure that God didn't even make cats. I think Satan made them. We'll see that later. God's like in the garden, and Adam's like naming the animals, and there's a dog and the cat, and God's like, I didn't make the cat. What? I don't know where that animal's from. <laughs> Guess you can see how I feel about cats. Anyway, um, so God made us in his image, and here's what that means. It doesn't mean that we are little gods on earth, but it means that we were created and made to reflect God's glory. Now, if you were here last week, um, or maybe you weren't here last week, but that you heard that I'm a very angry person, um, I took a hammer to a mirror last week, basically. Now, last week we saw that God made us in His image to reflect Him, just like a mirror would reflect someone's reflection. We were supposed to reflect His glory. You were made by God to reflect his glory. But here's what happened. When sin entered the picture, and we're going to look at this more closely this week, it's like a hammer being taken to a mirror and just crashed and crashed and crashed. And when I picked that mirror up last week, all that glass fell like a pile on the floor. And that's exactly how some of our lives are. Some of your friends' lives are like that. A big pile of glass on the floor, and I could not in a million years pick it all up and put it back together. Couldn't. Some of you are here tonight, and your life is like a big pile of glass on the floor. And maybe you come to church every week, and maybe you're in Bible fellowship, and maybe you know all the lingo, but deep in your heart, your life is like a pile of glass on the floor, and you do not know how to put it back together. I'm going to go ahead and tell you where I'm going tonight. I'm going to show you how and who puts it back together. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to zoom in in Genesis chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to see tonight— that we have an enemy who wants to, first of all, destroy the image of God in us, and then secondly, destroy us because he doesn't love God and he doesn't love us. Now, here's the deal. We're going to talk about Satan a little bit tonight. And for a long time, Satan has been uh, myth- mytholi- mythologized. I don't know. I just made those words up. Um, Satan. There's a lot of myths about Satan. Sometimes people think Satan is this, this guy with horns with the red suit on. He's running around the pitchfork. That is not Satan, okay? We're going to see that in a second. But Satan comes and he is the deceiver of men. He deceives. He's the father of lies. And so all that Satan can speak is lies. We're going to see Satan's deception here in just a moment and how it's still the same today. He's not got any new scheme. He doesn't have any new plan. It's always the same. And if I have an enemy, what I would like to do is figure out what is my enemy's scheme, what is my enemy's plan, and figure out how I can defeat my enemy. The reality is we can't defeat Satan. We're going to see that tonight. Christ has already defeated Satan. End of story. So in an epic story, you have a good guy and you have a bad guy, right? You've got the Darth Vader and you've got the Luke Skywalker. But a lot of people look at Christianity and they say, okay – God is on one side. He's totally righteous. Satan is on the only other side. He is pure evil, if you can put those two words together. So you've got these two dualistic almost gods. That's how some people look at Christianity. God on one side, Satan on one side, and someday they're going to have this big battle, and God's going to win maybe because he's a little better looking, right? That is not Christianity. Here's Christianity. That's dualism because what people do is they ascribe to Satan the powers of God. That's not true. That's not biblical. What we see is that Satan has been created by God. You're like, that's weird. I'm going to go there in a second. Satan has no power over God. God is sovereign and holy. And what is true is that God wins in the end. But there's not dualism. Dualism would say Satan is omnipresent. He knows all things. He can be everywhere all at the same time. Those are attributes of God, but sometimes without knowing it, we give Satan attributes of God. That is not an attribute of God. That is not an attribute of Satan. That is an attribute of God. So check this out. Look at Genesis chapter 3 with me. We're going to kind of walk through this, and we're going to see, first of all, the the deception of our enemy. Here's what happens here. Jump up to chapter 2, and we'll kind of set the context for tonight where we're going. Look at verse 15, chapter 2 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So from the beginning, work is something God created. Remember that when you wake up in the morning and go to work. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. I want you to remember that tonight. God's a generous, good God. He says you can eat of every tree of the garden. That's going to come into play here in a second. Verse 17. But. He gives a caution. He gives a warning. He gives a command. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Okay? Verse 18 continues. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So God is bringing all the animals before Adam, the livestock, the cows, the dogs, the cats. And Adam's going, none of these are fit for me. I'm not taking any of these livestock to the movies, God. Okay? (laughs) So I need something better. So God says, I will help you out here. I'm going to give you a helper suitable for you. And we're going to dig into gender roles and biblical manhood and biblical womanhood in about two weeks. So I'm not going to linger there. But then God makes Eve. And here's what happens. He puts Adam to sleep. And then verse 22. And God, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So here you go. You've got Adam. You've got Eve. You've got this new relationship, man and woman, walking in the garden in perfect relationship with God. And God says you can eat of any tree that you want to eat of, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God is a generous God. But here's what happens. Chapter 3, look at verse 1 with me. says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So here's what we have. First thing about Satan. We see Satan coming to the woman in Genesis chapter 3. In the beginning, in the origins, Satan is coming to the woman as a snake. He's disguised himself as a snake. Now, when we think about Satan, a lot of times we think of him as a serpent, but in the reality is this is that God had made snakes with all the other animals, and he had called them good. so Satan comes and disguised as a snake to eve now i don 't know i don 't know if if Eve had not seen a snake yet, had not met a snake, that she shouldn 't know that snakes aren 't supposed to be talking to her i don 't know. The snake was walking. We know that because later God curses the snake to crawl on his belly all the days of his life. So we know that the snake is upright at this point. A walking, talking snake comes to Eve. It's a good thing that she's smarter than the dude. Um, So he comes to her, and here's what he says. He says, check out later in that verse, Did God actually say, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden? Satan comes disguised. Let me say that again. Satan always <laughs> comes disguised. If you're looking for Satan to show up in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns, he's not going to do that. Satan has never showed up in my life going, hey, I am the Beelzebub. I am the enemy. I am the accuser, brethren, and I've come to accuse you and make you fall into sin. No, Satan always wraps himself in a disguise all the time. So, so what does that mean for us? It means this that you're not going to know when Satan is sitting in your room, or when he's in your house, or when he's at your doorstep knocking and going, What? What are we going to do? Satan came disguised. He always comes disguised. And it's always gradual. Satan comes disguised, he comes as a serpent, it's always gradual. And here's the reality tonight, is that Satan comes in this disguise of a serpent. God had made the serpent. The serpent was good up to that point. But now because of that, we identify Satan with the serpent. But Satan came in a disguise. And because he came in a disguise, he was able to begin to slowly but surely lead Eve and Adam to where they should not go. That's true, isn't it? Satan will not convince you to walk away from God. Overnight, he won't. There'll be a day where you wake up someday and you ask the question, How did I get this far from God? How did I get this far? I have a friend who was a student pastor in Tennessee, and he had to quit his job because he got involved with one of his students. I knew this guy, he loved God. He loved ministry. He loved Jesus. If you would have told me that that would have happened to him, I would have said, no way, never. I talked to him after this happened. He was obviously very repentant. His whole life had crashed before him. And here's what he said to me. He said, Matt, be very careful because this stuff does not happen overnight. Satan will disguise himself, and he will come to you, and it looks good. The Bible talks about how Satan an, comes as an angel of light many times. He does not come looking like what you would think he looks like. So he disguises himself. He comes to the woman, and because he's disguised, he slowly but surely begins to lead her to a place she doesn't want to go and in beca- a place Adam doesn't want to go. So here's the first thing. Adam disguises himself, but the second thing is this. Satan takes God's truth and he begins to twist it and manipulate it to say something it doesn't say. Check this out. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you that you should not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So here's what Satan begins to do. It's very, very subtle. And it's always very, very subtle in our lives, is he begins to dilute very subtly the Word of God. I want you to see this. He comes to the woman. He's disguised, so she doesn't even realize that she's talking to him. And he says to her, did God really say, did he actually say that you should not eat of any tree in the garden?" He begins to dilute it. It's like if I took a formula or some kind of cleaning product and I dilute it, I put water in it. It's not going to be as potent as it originally was. So what Satan does is he doesn't all out come in and say, man, God's an idiot, and you shouldn't love him. He comes in and slowly begins to say, did God actually really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? But he twists that because that's not at all what God said. Look at what Satan says here. He says, Verse 1, second part, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He twists that. Look back up at chapter 2. Look at what God says. He says in verse 16, Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see what Satan does? He comes in and he says to the woman, he says, here's the deal. Did God really say you couldn't eat of any tree? But what God had said way back in chapter 2 is he said, you can eat of every tree. So Satan begins to take the scope of God's goodness and generosity and bring it down. And he wants Eve to focus in on the one thing that she can't have. He dilutes the word of God. Very subtly. and Today it sounds something like this. Did God really say he didn't want you to enjoy sex? I mean, he wired you to be... A sexual being. Surely, God wants you to enjoy sex. That's not what God said. He does want you to enjoy sex in the confines of a marriage relationship because that is good for you. He comes along and he says, did God say that you couldn't date this person? Did God say that you couldn't be in a relationship with this person? Here's what Satan does. He whittles down, and he brings a scope of God's goodness, and he crops out the picture, so to speak, so that all you see is what God has said you can't do. In reality, God is this God who has blessed you with everything, every tree in the garden you can eat. And Satan comes and goes, God said you couldn't eat of anything. And it's a subtle dilution. And here's what happens. As Eve begins... I the word of God in her mind. She's convinced that what Satan is saying is true. Check out what she says. And we're going to compare it to what God said. Here's what happens here. It says, look at verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Check this out. And neither shall you touch it. Now we'll jump back up to what God said. He said, you can eat of every tree in the garden, verse 17, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. God never said anything about not touching the tree. Now all of a sudden Satan has stepped in and Eve is adding things to what God said because Satan has subtly diluted the word of God. She's, he's getting her to think that God is not good and he's not generous. Little word, very simple. But Eve said, God said we could eat of some trees but not to eat of the one that's in the midst of the garden nor touch it. Do you see what Satan's doing? He's bringing down the scope of God's goodness. It's like a picture that's been cropped, and all you can see is what God has said not to do. And so what Satan wants to do is focus in on what God says not to do and then convince you that he's not a good and generous God, when in reality God has said, don't do this. Do not have sex before marriage. Do not abuse your body with drugs. Do not be in that relationship. Why? Because in the midst of all that, what's been cropped out of the picture is the goodness of God. He's a good God. Satan wants to crop the picture. He wants to crop the picture, so all you see is what God has forbid you to do, and in reality, even God forbidding you to do something is for your good, because he's a good God. So Eve begins to think that, that maybe he's right. Check out. Check this out. He continues on. Verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, right? For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he comes disguised and he comes and he dilutes the word of God. He slowly but subtly begins to make Eve see all that God has asked her not to do. But then he scopes out the goodness of God and that she can eat of every tree of the garden. And he does that in our lives. But then what he does is he all out attacks and doubts the word of God. He goes from diluting it to, to questioning God. Look at what he says here. It says, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But then the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. It's a counter to what God has said. God said, if you eat the tree that's in the middle of the garden, that one tree, you will surely die. But then Satan comes along and says, no, 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 you will not die. Do you really think that's what he meant? says this, he says, you will, you will not die. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Here's what happens. He dilutes it subtly. And then when he's got her to a point to where she's questioning it and changing what God has asked her to do, he didn't say don't touch it. But then now Eve is adding that to the commandment. Then he comes in with doubt and he says, surely God didn't mean that you would die when you ate of that tree. Surely that's not what he meant. Do you ever find that in your life where you're you're wrestling with something and the enemy comes to you and it's surely, surely. If you're in that relationship and you love that guy, right? You love that girl. And surely, I mean, you guys are going to get married, but surely God really doesn't mean that, that you shouldn't have sex before marriage. Surely, surely he wants you to be happy. Surely it's okay because you know that you love that person, and someday you're going to be married. Surely that's not what God meant. And then what he does is he plays to every person's desire to be an idolater. You know what it means to be an idolater? It means to take God off his throne and to set something else up. And here's what Satan knows: He knows that every person has this desire to worship. But when it gets bent and it gets twisted, it's to worship self. And so here's what he says: He not only doubts the word of God, but then he sets her up. Check this out. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't die. Because God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So basically, here's what Satan says. He doubts the word of God, and then he attacks the character of God. I want you to see this. Basically saying to her, why would God hold that back from you? Why would God say that you can eat of every tree but this tree? You don't want really to know why God doesn't want you to eat of this tree? Because he knows that you will know good from evil. Attacking the character and the goodness of God, that's exactly what Satan is doing there, saying, Why would God want to hold that back from you? Surely God made that for you. And that's exactly how it works in our life. Satan comes and he's disguised. And then he comes and dilutes the word of God. He takes it and he he twists it just a little bit. So it sounds good and looks good, but it's not real. And then when we've bought into the dilution of the word of God, then he comes in with a full-on doubt. You will surely not die. But then he continues here. He says you will surely not die. Because God knows that you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Here's the deal tonight, is that all of us have this capacity to worship. All of us have this capacity to want to be like God in us because we've been made to worship. But when that gets turned upside down, it is centered on us. And so Satan's standing there that day. He's in the garden. He's talking to Eve, and he says, surely you won't die. Eve begins to second guess everything that God said to her. See, that's exactly what Satan does. And it's not new. He comes and he dilutes and then he plants seeds of doubt in our mind. Some of you are sitting here tonight and you have seeds of doubt about the goodness of God. You do. Satan has planted seeds of doubt about the goodness of God. And if Satan can plant seeds of doubt about the goodness of God and the character of God, then the next step is this, that I will begin to walk away from God very slowly but very surely because Satan has planted seeds of doubt about the goodness of God and the character of God. Can I tell you I live with that every day? My daughter is in Africa right now, and I do not know when she will come home. And we sat at dinner tonight. And we talked to the agency, and the lady said, we don't know anything, and it may be months before we know anything. It's almost like Satan pulled a table up, a chair up to our table, and we hung that phone up. Can I tell you, just be real honest with you, every single day when I get up lately, there are seeds of doubt that are trying to be planted in my mind about the goodness of God. And I have a decision to make. I can either run to the Word of God and remind myself daily, Romans 12, renew my mind, right, so I can be transformed. To renew my mind so that I know that God is a good God. Or I can believe the seeds of doubt that are being put into my mind. But I know this. When I begin to believe the seeds of doubt that Satan plants in my mind, I will slowly but surely walk away. And the desires of this world will draw me away. How do I know that? Because that's exactly what happens to Eve. Check this out. He plays to her Her desire to be like God, he says, God knows that you will be like him and you will know good from evil. So look at verse 8. He's diluted the word of God. He's made her doubt the word of God. Verse 8 says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I want you to see this. He slowly, this is kind of the process in our lives. Satan diluted the word of God. And then he made her doubt the word of God, and then he began to pervert and twist her desires. Check out the progression here, verse 8. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. I want you to think about this for a second God had given her every tree in the garden to eat from, it wasn't like they had a lack of food. But she looks at this tree, the very one that God has said you can't have, and all of a sudden, all these trees that are bearing fruit, because we know he made <laughs> fruit-bearing trees. We saw it in the first chapter of Genesis. But all these trees are surrounding her with all this fruit on them, and all of a sudden, the only one she can see is the one she can't have. That's how it works, isn't it? And she looks at it, and she begins to lust after it. Lust is this, wanting and desiring deeply that which is not yours. And God had said, do not Eat of that tree, it's not yours. So she begins to lust the lust of the flesh. Verse 8 continues on and says this. And it was a delight to her eyes, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. She sees the food that it's good for her, so she's lusting after it, even though God has given her all of these trees to eat from, and then she begins to lust with her eyes after it. This is the this is the progression. But then check this out. She's lusted with her eyes, she's lusted in her flesh. And then it turns into action. It says this, the tree was there to be desired to make one wise, and she took its fruit, and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then verse 7, then both of their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. At this point, you ever read the Bible and you go, man, I just wish I could be a fly on the wall there for a second? I wish I could be a fly on the wall in this passage, Genesis chapter 3. Number one, to see a walking, talking snake. And number two, when their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked, right? You ever had those dreams where you get up in the morning and you go to school not wearing any clothes? And you're like, you wake up, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that that is not real. (laughs) They had this moment where they eat the apple and then they look around and it's like innocence is lost at that moment. It's crashed. The image of God is destroyed at that moment because the word of God was diluted. Then it was doubted. And then in a moment, a moment of sheer pleasure, the desires of Eve are twisted. She had every tree to eat from in the garden. She didn't need any food, but she desired the food. She had God to walk with her every single day. I want you to get this. God was walking with them every day. They walked with God in the cool of the garden. Not just like we talk about having a relationship with God. They saw God face to face. They talked with God. This crazy relationship with God. They did not need anything else to make them wise. You had a question, you asked God. He was in the garden with them. But she saw that the tree could make her wise because she thought there was something there that God had not shared with her yet. And so she takes the apple and she eats it. And in that moment, the image of God, like we saw last week, was crushed. It was was destroyed. It was shattered. But here's the whole point of this in Genesis chapter 3, is that Satan is not necessarily and primarily attacking Adam and Eve. He does attack them, and he's attacking us through that, but he's not primarily attacking them. Here's what I want you to see. Satan hates Adam and Eve. He hates everyone who's created. Why? Because we bear the image of God. And then for Christians who are restored in Christ to reflect the image of God, who are being put back together by Christ to reflect the image of Christ, he hates us too. The New Testament says this. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Why? Because Satan hates us. But why does he hate us? He hates us because we reflect that which he cannot be. I want you to get this. Satan desired to be God. We know this from the scriptures that Satan was an angel. He was created by God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshiped like God was worshiped. He was cast out of heaven with a bunch of other angels that literally became demons, he wanted to be God. And so his whole purpose, his whole existence is bent on destroying the image of God. Why did Satan walk into the garden that day and begin to converse with the woman? Not because he necessarily hated them, because he hated God's image in them. Why does he want you to fall on your face every day as a believer in Christ? Because he hates the image of Christ that you and I portray if you're in Christ. See, this is not an attack on humanity. It is. But it's, first of all, an attack on the image of God. Because when we were made, we were made to reflect the image of God. And here's what Satan knew. If he could dilute God's truth, he could make us doubt God's truth. If he could make us desire that which God has said not to have, then he could make the whole thing fall apart. And that is what we see. Check out the rest of the passage here. The effects of all this is death of everything. Verse 8 says this. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the, gar- the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They're hiding now. The God they used to walk with and enjoy his presence, they're hiding now. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, do you think God needed to know where they were? No. Have you ever had God ask you that question? Where are you, Matt? What are you doing? It's not for his benefit. It's for mine. He asked Adam and Eve, where are you? What are you doing? What has happened? He knows what's happened. Continues on and says this. The Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. So all of a sudden, Adam, who's supposed to be the leader, is defaulting. How, did you eat of the tree? Well, yeah, but she ate first, and she gave it to me, and she's really hot. <laughs> so I ate it, right? Right? You see this breakdown because Adam was set up to be the leader. We're going to see that in a couple weeks. Eve is his helpmate, and now Adam is saying, no, 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 no. She led me. And the whole time God's going, where were you, Adam? Would you like to show up to the game? says this. The man said to the woman, he said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit of the tree and ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. This passing of the blame, this passing of the buck, and it would happen for generations and it's happening to us sitting in here tonight. If you watch TV, if you watch people who are accused of something, there's always a passing of the buck. Nope, he made me do it. No, it was my upbringing. I wasn't raised in the right family. Always wanting to pass the buck. in the moment that sin enters in and the, sh- the image of God is shattered, we're always passing the buck and not wanting to take the blame. And that's what's happening. Here's the effects of it all. Look at verse 14. So the Lord is standing there. I want you to get this picture in your mind here. You've got holy God in the garden that he has placed man and woman in. You have Adam and Eve who are now covering themselves because they have lost their innocence. And you have the serpent who's standing there. So you've got this thing going on. And here's the conversation that begins to take place. God looks at the serpent and he says this, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So he condemns and curses the snake to crawl on his belly. Before that, snakes had legs and they walked. Weird. I'm glad they don't anymore because that means they could go faster. (laughs) Skip a couple verses. Verse 16. We're going to come back to the verse 15 to the woman. He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing in pain. You shall bring forth children and your your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Let me let me deal with this for a second. He said, first of all, you're going to have pain in childbearing. Before that, obviously, there's no pain in childbearing. I stood in the room the day my daughter was born. And I think I've said this here before, but when your child is born, and someday you will experience this, it is the most disgusting and beautiful thing all at the same time. It's weird. <laughs> but they asked my wife, they said, would you like to have an epidural? You know what that is. They stick a needle on your back and your whole body goes limp and you're like, oh, happy land, you know. <laughs> so some, some ladies, and I'm not, I'm not capping on anybody if this is, you know, your parents or somebody you know. I'm not capping on anybody. But some people are like, I am going to have the baby natural. I am woman, hear me roar. I'm like, no. (laughs) My wife is like, I am taking five epidurals, drug me up, right? (laughs) And with the epidural, she is still in pain. And the whole time she's like, I hate Eve. hate her. (laughs) So there's pain in childbearing. So there's the part of the curse that's pain in childbearing. But I want you to see this for a second. And we're going to dig into general's really deep in a couple weeks. but, But watch what it says. Your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. What does that mean? It means this, that God has set up the man and the woman to operate in a way. They are equal in creation, but they are different in role. And when the, when the fall happens, it all gets turned upside down. And now the woman will desire her husband. What does that mean? She will desire to have his role. She'll desire to be the leader of the family when she's not supposed to be the leader. And then he will desire to rule over here, her, meaning this. He will not love her like Christ loved the church. He will be an oppressive leader, not the leader that he was designed to be. We're going to dig into that more. So that's a part of the curse. But then it continues on. Check this out. It's good for us, guys. It gets even better. Verse 17. And to Adam he said this, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree. I love that because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. And in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Here's what he says. Adam, men, you will work by the sweat of your brow to produce food for your family. And then he curses the ground, and thorns come up out of the ground. It will be painful for you. It will be hard for you. See, up until this point in the garden, everything just popped up. It was like you're walking along, apple tree, bam, I got apples, right? It's like, sweet. (laughs) Everyone was a a perfect gardener. HGTV didn't exist, right? You didn't need it. Until that point, everything was perfect, including the ground and what came out of the ground. And he said, Adam, you will work all the days of your life by the sweat of your brow to provide for your family. And work will not be a joy for you anymore. It will be a burden for you. And I hear that all the time in people, right? Don't you hear that? The practical implications of the fall. Someone gets up and says, I hate my job. I can't tell you how many times I hear that. I hate my job. I hate my work. Effects of the fall. continues on and says this. Curses the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So in the middle of all that, the world is falling apart. That sounds a little bit epic to say, right? (laughs) Epic failed. Read it right here. Adam and Eve have become an epic fail here's the deal. They eat of the fruit, and everything begins to fall apart. Pain and childbearing, the ground is cursed, it produces thorns and not fruit that's good for eating. Everything is falling apart. Relationally, Adam and Eve are now falling apart. What do we see? Well, look over in chapter 4. Cain and Abel. You grew up in church. Maybe you weren't told the story at BBS. But Cain slays Abel. I won't take the time to go into the whole deal for you, But basically what we see is the son of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, they have vengeance for one another, and you have the first murder. From Genesis chapter 3 on, everything is messed up. And as much as people try to fix it, they can't. Everything is falling apart. It is not getting better. Our world is not evolving to become something better. Our world is breaking down. Everything is breaking down. Relationships are breaking down. The earth is breaking down. Everything is breaking down because of the effects of sin. Death has entered the picture. And right now where we sit, you are dying. You're dying physically. If you're apart from Christ, you're dying spiritually. You're dying. There will be a day in which your heart stops beating. Blood starts, stops running through your veins. Your brain does not compute anymore. You will be dead Because of this So where's the hope in that Let me show you the hope Skip back up to chapter 15 In this little conversation We see God having with this walking talking snake Adam and Eve Verse 15 says this Chapter 315 It says I will put enmity between you and the woman And between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head You shall bruise his heel Now, that seems like a really confusing verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. There's a little thing here that's happening, and it's this amazing thing. God has stepped into the garden. In the midst of this brokenness, creation is breaking down. And and we don't have a picture of this, but I can just imagine in that moment, the garden begins to look different, things start dying. Adam and Eve are wearing clothes. They haven't worn clothes up to this point. There's this loss of innocence. Relationally, there's this death that's happening. There's this relational death between Adam and Eve and God. They used to have this perfect relationship with God. Now they can't. They're about to be thrown out of the garden. But I want you to see something here. There is beauty in all this brokenness. And here's the beauty. That God standing in the garden that day was sovereign in control God and he knew the plan. There's a little thing right here in this passage that's very cool. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. You can repeat that after me. Everyone say Proto-Evangelium. That's a very, very fancy way of saying this, the first telling of the gospel. See, the gospel means good news. I've talked to you a lot about a lot of bad news. Pain and childbearing, not good news. Thorns from the ground, not good news. Relational death, not good news. Physical death, not good news. Where's the good news here? The good news is this, that God is standing in the the garden that day. The serpent's standing here. Adam and Eve are standing here. And he looks at Eve and he looks at the serpent and he says something. I'm going to put enmity, separation, between your offspring and your offspring, looking at the serpent and looking at Eve. And here's what he says. This is key. He says, he shall bruise your head. He shall crush your head, some translations say, looking at the snake. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel, or you shall strike his heel. What this is pointing to is the hope of the gospel in the middle of our brokenness. He looks at the serpent, and he says, you will strike the offspring of the woman's heel. Here's what we know is that the lineage of Christ, you can back it all the way up to here. And notice he doesn't say the offspring of the man and the woman. Watch this. He says the offspring of the woman talking about the mother of God, Jesus, Mary. He's talking about Mary. So he backs up all the way, but he says not the man and the woman. He says the woman, so Satan, serpent, you will strike his heel. The cross of Christ. Nails driven through his hands. Nails driven through his feet. Beating after beating on him. He will strike your heel. Satan that day struck the heel of Christ. But a strike on the heel doesn't kill someone, does it? Do you know how you kill a snake? You crush its head. So here's what he does. He looks at the serpent and he says, you will strike his heel, but her offspring will crush your head. In that moment, I want you to see this. In that moment, God is looking at all the mess that's been made, all of the sin, all the fall. And in that moment, he declares the end. He declares the end. He looks to the future, and he declares the end. And here's the really cool part is from the beginning and in the beginning, Satan has already been defeated, and Christ declares that that day in the garden. He will. Christ. Crush your Satan head. How do we know that? How do we know that's true? Well, if you've got your Bibles, go to Colossians, and then we're done. Colossians chapter 3. Actually, Colossians chapter 2, sorry. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. But verse 15 is huge. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, which is Satan and his demons, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him, in Christ. We see this all throughout the Scriptures. We see other verses that talk about this. But the reality is this: is that sovereign God who knows everything looked down through time and He knew the plan He had put into place, and He looks at Satan and says, "You have been defeated. It's done." We got this tree here that uh, Ricky and Olivia have so. Awesomely designed. And and this is what happened. You saw the tree the first week. Just a normal tree. Beautiful. It was pretty cool. Last week we had the mirrors on it that were supposed to be a reflection of the image of God. But in the moment of sin, in the moment of the story of origins, where everything begins to fall apart, you have greed, you have sloth, you have lust, you have envy, you have vanity. Sin enters the picture. And this image is not the image of God anymore. But God steps into the middle of the garden. And he declares that someday there's going to be a nail, and there's going to be a sacrifice, and there's going to be a Savior. There's going to be a guy named Jesus, and he will suffer. He will die for our sin. They will beat him with a cat of nine tails, and he will endure a cross up a hill called Golgotha. And he will hang there naked. Between two thieves, dying for their sin and ours. See, in the middle of the garden, there's this deal called sacrifice, and it's Christ. There's beauty in the brokenness, because in the middle of all this mess that I have, all this brokenness that is me, Christ drives a nail through all of it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us this. That he who knew no sin became sin so that I may become the righteousness of God. My life was this. But what Christ is in the process of doing, and he pronounced it, God pronounced it that day in the garden, is that I am going to make all things new. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to have a new heaven and a new earth someday. I am going to make all things new. And it begins here. I'm going to crush Satan's head. The enemy has been defeated. If you're a believer in here today and you're in Christ, know this. The enemy has been defeated, and he will still try to dilute the word of God, make you doubt the word of God, and twist the desires that God has given you. But you bear the image of Christ now. But if you're not bearing the image of Christ, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian or a Christ follower, this is what your life looks like. This is what you reflect. See, you were made to reflect the image of God. This doesn't reflect anything very well. But in the middle of the brokenness in the garden that day, there is a God who pronounced a Savior and that he would defeat Satan. And in him, there is forgiveness. In him, there is righteousness. In him, there is restoration. But the reality is this tonight. The Bible talks about how we have to come to Christ to repent of our sin, trust him, and follow him. Now, here's what I know is that in this room, many of you are Christ followers. I know that, but I don't know everyone in this room. So I'm not going to pretend like I know everyone's a Christ follower. But here's the reality tonight is that our lives until Christ are a mess like this tree and this mirror. Christ comes and steps into our mess, becomes a man, becomes flesh, and takes on our mess for us. That day in the garden... God knew that Jesus would come, and he would become sin. He would become greed. He would become envy. He would become lust. He would become all of that. The proto-evangelium, the first telling of good news. Standing in the garden that day, Adam and Eve knew that although it had all started to fall apart, that there was going to be somebody who was going to put it all back together. Isn't that good? He puts it all together. Back together You can't He does It's the gospel And what I know is that there's been a lot of people Throughout the years who have miscommunicated the gospel They've miscommunicated Jesus That Jesus is about a list of rules And about a bunch of stuff you gotta do That's not it It's about a God who steps into your mess Takes on your mess Becomes your mess Becomes your sin and gives you his righteousness, something you could never do. And if you've come into this place tonight and you don't really know what that's all about, you may have seen people with their hands raised or singing out loud. And it's because those people are not perfect people. They're just people who realize that their lives used to look like this and like this. And slowly but surely, Jesus Christ is making them look more like what they were supposed to look like in the beginning, his image. And they would readily tell you they're not perfect. And I would readily tell you I am not perfect. But the God who loves me and sent his son Christ to die for me is perfect. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. And tonight if you need to talk to somebody about Christ, about knowing Christ, about having a real relationship with Christ, uh, I'm here to talk. You can talk with a friend who maybe brought you. We want to talk with you about that. Ben's going to come in just a second and lead us in worship. And we're going to sing a song that a lot of us know. It's called The Enemy's Been Defeated. Tonight, we're going to declare with great passion that God, from the garden and from the beginning, has crushed the head of Satan in the cross of Christ. So let me ask you to stand up, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship. Father God, tonight we love you. God, we want to celebrate what you've done in the beginning. God, in the middle of the mess that Adam and Eve made, in the middle of the mess that we make, you step into the mess and you declare good news. You declare the gospel. So God, tonight I pray for anyone who may be in here that has not experienced the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of the grace of God, the goodness of the cross, that God, you would draw their hearts to you tonight. For those of us who know you, who are being restored into your image, Christ, I pray that tonight we would celebrate the fact that in the beginning, you declared not just that the heavens and the The earth would be made, but that Satan would be defeated and his head would be crushed. So, God, tonight we worship you for that. We worship you that you were not taken off guard in the fall, but you had a plan, and the plan was for your glory and our good. So, God, we worship you tonight. As your saints who have been redeemed, we worship you. We praise you.